Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, a gay TV calling. And I'm Nick Watson, underscore NJ Watson. And today we're going to be talking about the writing mindset. Back in episode six, we discussed ways of channeling the practical approach of TV writing to your own writing. This is entirely about the writing mindset. That means the psychological side of writing, whether that means procrastination, the blank page, deadlines, and just waiting for the muse to strike. Those are the kinds of topics we're going to be covering today. So we're going to delve into what Alex called the writer's mindset, or as we also have called it, the myth of the muse. This is all about kind of the approach, what happens before you write. Now, we were talking about how TV writing works on a schedule, as we said last time. So when you're on staff, you don't really have the excuse of, oh, I'm not feeling like writing today. You can't just sit around and wait for inspiration. You're going to have to sit down and write that draft or that outline, and you won't have a choice or you will get fired. Yeah. <laughs> well, what an upbeat way to start this podcast. Uh, <laughs> I think that this myth about having to wait around for the muse to strike you. In my mind, this is an excuse for not doing the work. In TV, there's, as we've said over and over again, there's a schedule. There's a rigorous process. And since you'll be working out of a structure or an outline, and you should have already a bunch of scenes in a row, there should not be this spark of creativity that you should be waiting on. Because this is not a creative prose writing process, especially early on. Writing is something you actively do, not only something you just think about. You know, it's easier to make excuses than doing something. There is this thing about background processing where you wait until you feel ready enough to write something because you're thinking you're like basically problem solving in your head some things. But that's not the majority of the work. That's only a portion, a transition phase, if you will, from the outline to the prose or vice versa. And I think there's this psychological fear of when you write something, it's in front of you and it's permanent. It's there. You can't change it. But we all know that you can actually change it. And you'd rather have this perfect idea stay that way in your head than express it completely in the wrong way. But if you think about it, musicians do it all the time. They have this melody in their head, maybe. And what makes them great musicians is their ability to transpose those notes into actual music. It's not just a thought but an actual representation of their thought. It's the actual representation of that thought. And it's the same thing with writing or any art form. It's about putting that idea in your head and transposing it on the page. Even though it may not be good, at least you do it. Yeah, it's really important to get over that fear of actually putting something down. You need to just get that vomit draft out on the page, and then you can go about making it better from there. There's no way you can improve what's already there if it's not there to improve. Yeah, I mean, uh, um, I keep saying good is the enemy of done. It's better to be done than be good in your head. Yeah, exactly. To me, it helps to frame it as a want versus a need. You don't need the muse. You want it, but it's not necessary. So rather than seeing it as this necessary element to writing, think of it about as a welcome addition. You've got the fire, you're excited, you're going to get stuff done and without having to force yourself because you're really passionate about it at this particular moment in time. In that way, you might feel like you need it to write because it feels so good and so easy when you do have the quote-unquote muse, but in the strictest definition of the term, you don't actually need it. You just want it. All you actually need to write is a given amount of time and maybe the functioning use of a limb or two. Um, <laughs> you know, in the same way that you could say, oh, I need a string of green lights and clear traffic to drive home. Like, no, you don't. It's really nice to have, but sometimes you just got to pull into gridlock traffic on the 101 and suck it up. You're going to get home eventually. It might not be fun, but you will get there sooner or later. Yeah, I think there's this romantic surge of inspiration. That's like what the muse is, is you want to be chosen by this external factor or person or God creativity to strike you. Mm -hmm. And it's all about the ego and the fear. It's not about the actual work you are going to have to do. 
And that ties back to the fear of the blank page or the writer's block. If you follow the tier rank process, you're not going to be waiting around for the muse to strike because you're already going to do the hard work of the structure or figuring out the act breaks and those kinds of elements that are not just about creativity, but really what does the story need on a functional level? I've had periods where I haven't written anything substantial for six months. Like I got very busy working 15 to 18 hour days on sets when I was living up in Vancouver and I had no time to recover at home, let alone write. At least that's what I told myself in my head. I was working six days a week and so I'd have one day off and I would use that to sleep and do my washing and all that kind of thing. But even then, if I think back really hard about it, I could have pushed myself. I could have taken an hour or two here or there. Maybe I could have found some time to just take some notes on my phone while I was standing around doing nothing on set. There are always those opportunities that you need to be on the lookout for even when you have so little time. Since moving to LA, I've been able to write so much more, not just because of that work schedule. I I feel like I'm working not quite as much, but still a substantial amount, but I found much, much more time to actually do that writing. And I've been kind of getting scripts out every couple of months and it's it's been a huge improvement. Yeah. And we're going to talk about the time management aspect in a second, but I feel like even in this pre-phase of getting to that step of sitting down and writing, there's little things that you can do to like help want to write. Even if you do something else, like, you know, go out on a walk or watch a show. Watching shows is actually a great way to be inspired because you're watching something you want to do. And then that by itself is going to make your mind think about things on your own story. It's also this idea of changing perspective, literally. Sometimes when I'm blocked on an idea or something, I can either walk down the street or a park, or if I'm at home, I will try to like go look at things differently in my own home. So for example, I'm going to stand in a corner that I've never really thought of before, or I'll maybe sleep in my bed upside down or something, or like switch the pillows around. I know it sounds stupid, but it's actually psychologically, your mind will think differently because you're actually looking at things differently. So that can help on a creative level. Yeah, I I think it's not unreasonable to say that this construct of writer's block doesn't really exist. It's just like an amalgamation of excuses and fears that you have about what will actually come out if you do write and what people might see and think of that. For sure. And that's not to say that you can't take a break, despite the fact that you may be stuck at a place mentally, that may just be about you needing to take a step away from that project. But that's not to say that you will not be able to come up with ideas. It's just that temporarily may Maybe you need a break from that specific story. Everyone needs a vacation from their full-time job and everyone needs a little break mentally from things every yeah, now and then. Actually, I have to think about it. I may uh, take a break from this podcast right now. <laughs> okay, I'm see gonna, you. Later. All right, everyone. Welcome to Paper <laughs> oh. Team with Nick Watson and Nick Watson. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now that we've looked at the approach before you write, let's talk about time management and procrastination. Dealing with procrastination is really important because procrastination is a part of life. It's not something you can eradicate. It's something you need to work with. And it's not just about discarding it, but also diminishing it or using it to your own advantage. That is why time management is crucial in writing, especially in TV, where later in that season, you're going to be probably behind schedule and you're going to have to write that draft in two days or something. And so we do have a few tools and tricks that we'd like to talk about on ways we deal with procrastination and time management. 
So there's this thing called Parkinson's Law, which you may have heard of, but maybe not under that name. The actual quote of what it is, is work expands to fill the time available for its completion. So if you are given a day to get something done, you will probably take most of that day to do it. If you're given a week to get that same thing done, you're probably going to take most of a week to do it, even if you could have theoretically got it in a day if that's all you had done. And I feel like that will be familiar to most people who have ever been to university or even high school or anything like that, where you have an assignment and you will just put it off until the last moment, or you will work little bits and pieces here and there because you don't feel like you need to rush it. I certainly find there is this strange paradox where the busier I get, the more time I find to get stuff done because I have to. I can't really delude myself into thinking I have so many opportunities to do this. I could get it done any night this week and it's not due till until Friday. But if I'm so busy, I only have one or two slots in my week where I could possibly get it done, then it's actually going to happen in that time. Yeah, it's not uncommon also for myself where you have a deadline and then you kind of want to wait until the last second. It's weird, but that's how it works. Yeah, it's almost like you think it's going to be better if you give yourself the most time to do it. When realistically, mm -hmm. that's not the that's case. Not happen. In that way, I think there's certainly value in sectioning off periods of time and setting short goals for your writing. And I do this when I write it down in my calendar or on my like to-do list. Instead of saying, do some writing tonight, work on this script, I might say, I'm going to do exactly one hour of work on the script, or I'm going to finish X pages within this two-hour amount of time. Yeah, I mean, there's also this idea where, in my mind, you can fracture your schedule in such a way where if it's very clear what the task is going to be, and if it's a very finite task that you can do in X amount of minute, it's going to be easier for you to do it than this ephemeral, my goal today is to find a job. What, yeah. do, what does that even mean? Instead, it should be, I'm going to apply for at least five jobs today yeah, or something. Yeah, exactly. Like and there's also this idea of like frequent breaks, improve mental agility, and change the way you think about time. And that goal is to ease anxiety and free yourself from constraints and concentrate better on the task at hand. And so there's this little time management method that I use called the Pomodoro Technique. And the technique is basically you use a timer, a physical timer, a kitchen timer, to break down work into small intervals. Those intervals usually are about 25 minutes. And then between 25 minutes, you, you have about a five-minute short break. The way you approach it is usually you're going to make a list of tasks that you want to do, and then you tackle each one of them in 25-minute segments, and then you're going to X the task that you've done. So even psychologically, you're going to cross it off. And so I feel like that's a method that's very useful for people with either fractured schedule where you can only fit a couple of hours writing or people with dedicated amount of long times. There was an interview with Jerry Seinfeld not long ago and he mentioned that one of his kind of processes was that he would get a little bit of work done every day and when he managed to achieve that goal he would put an X on his calendar and then the next day when he got that done he would put another X on his calendar and then all he had to do from there is make sure that he kept having another X every yeah, day chain. on that calendar. Yeah, don't, don't break the chain. Don't want to break the chain, yeah. And just to go back to the Pomodoro technique, even on the screenwriting side, I think it's really useful. Even though you think a script is like this big block of text, you can actually break it down. I often use the technique when I work on my first draft. So I have an outline with a specific amount of scenes. So let's say 50 scenes. And then for each scene with actual dialogue or prose in it, so not just expositionary scene or establishing shots, just scenes where I'm going to have to actually work on, I will dedicate one Pomodoro, as they're called, or one segment of 25 minutes per, per scene. Then I write for 25 minutes straight just on that scene. And then I take a break, I mark it down, and then I move on to the next scene. I don't rework that scene. I've already spent 25 minutes on it. 
Maybe at some other day I'll rework it. But right now it's about writing it in the first place. And so this also allows me to work non-linearly where I can actually jump to scenes I'm more passionate about. This is what something we already mentioned in episode mm-hmm. six about ways of getting that first draft. And so since it's about two scenes an hour, then it's basically about 24 hours worth of straight work. Then I can schedule those kinds of running breaks whenever I have time. So it could be done a couple of days or a full week. My own running record is actually running a full first episode draft in literally 21 straight hours of running. And again, it may not have been good, but it was actually done. No, that's great. I mean, you could do one or two of those segments on your lunch break at work if you wanted to. You could do one in the morning if you showed up early or before you get in the car to drive. That You could get one as soon as you get home. You can have one after dinner. That's great to be able to break that up rather than feeling like, oh, but I've got to go get to these drinks tonight and I'm not going to have any time to sit down and do four hours of writing. It's like Once again, excuses, excuses. Exactly. So you have a writing partner. So Mm -hmm. how does that work for you guys? That's actually one of the things that I've found has helped me the most in terms of getting writing done is being able to write with someone else. Maybe that's one of the other things that's changed since I moved down to LA is that I've started working with writing partners more. And so I'm actually having to sit down and put that time in my schedule, meet up with them in a particular place. So it's like I actually have an appointment to write. I've got to show up at a certain time and get that amount of stuff done in that amount of time. And I have someone else there who's going to hold me accountable for that and who I don't want to disappoint. So that really kind of helps. So I do have like a long-term TV writing partner who I'm hopefully going to get staffed with. But then even as I wanted to to write a a feature, I was like, I could just do this on my own time. But then I found another friend who I thought would be really great to bring along into it. A, because he obviously offers his own talents towards writing that, but B, because it will force me to set these times and go Mm -hmm. write with him. I'm actually going to go write with him right after we finish writing this podcast. So this was kind of like back in university. In a way, I almost preferred exams rather than take-home essays and assignments, even though the majority of subjects I did were more languages, English-based stuff where I would be doing essays because there was always... would they speak English in Australia? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we speak kangaroo in Australia. But the thing that I liked about exams is that you knew that if you showed up there at 9 o'clock and you left there at 12 o'clock, you had finished your course. It was going to be done one way or the other, and it sat you down and forced you to finish it, whereas an essay might theoretically never get done if you don't actually sit down and do the work. So I think you can apply that to writing in a way as well. Even if you don't actually have a writing partner who you're both creatively collaborating on the same thing, you could potentially get another friend who is a writer and just make a little writing date to go to a cafe and you both work on your own thing and you're there to hold each other accountable. So that's an idea as well. Speaking of, I definitely recommend Crave Cafe in the Valley if if you want to do those uh, writing dates. Mm -hmm. Uh, Uh, Republic of Pie in NoHo as well Mm -hmm. is a good little one. I'm sure in 10 years, uh, this podcast will not be outdated. (laughs) Yeah. Another part is this idea of uh, getting rid of distractions. In the computer programming world, you have those things called full screen text editors that are very popular. And they basically have these distraction free mode where the text editor will occupy the full computer display. So you have the writer completely isolated from the other applications. And so the only thing you can do on the computer is write and that's it. On the code front, there's a popular text editor that I use called Sublime Text. And I actually know several people use it for prose writing. Although that's not really the screenwriting. On the screenwriting front, there's a John August Highland app for a Mac, which is kind of a great minimalist software. And then there's also on the Windows PC side, a Fade-In, which also has a full screen mode. I actually saw something recently that was a device that someone had created that was like almost reminiscent of a typewriter. And it was like literally there just to write on. And like they deliberately stripped out every other technological capability of it. It would allow it to send your drafts to your email or something and write on. And that was pretty much it. Like you couldn't do anything else with it. I just looked it up in my mind. It's called the Hemingway. And actually, I learned about it 
because uh, Javi from the Children of Ten New podcast mm-hmm. posted about it, but it's pretty pricey, I think. Yeah, oh yeah, I, do. I find it hilarious that we've gotten to the point of technology <laughs> where we have to start stripping features out of things. It's like, oh no, this computer I can hold in my hand does too many things, and now I need it to do less things. So speaking of distractions, there's this little technique that a friend of mine used to use all the time that is called a writing sprint. And so what she would do is recruit a bunch of other writers online, either over Twitter or sending a Facebook message. I think there might have even been a Facebook group for it at one point. And she would say, I'm going to do a writing sprint for the next hour from like 1 p.m. on the dot. And so if you wanted to join her and get some writing done, you would cut yourself off from all communication and distractions, internet, phones, etc., and everyone would start writing from 1 p.m. and write until it hit 2 p.m. And then the second that came off, you could stop. You could go check back in with everyone, see how they did. Everyone could encourage each other. So that would be kind of like random and spontaneous, but it made you actually set that time aside. And having other people working with you at the same time, even if you couldn't communicate with them, made you feel a little less alone. And, you know, like you almost might be letting them down if you didn't get it done. Yeah, I continuously let you down every time I don't write, Nick. That's what I think about when I write. <laughs> let me down in a lot of ways, Alex. Oh, Speaking of letting people down, there's such a thing as this idea of habit reinforcement. That is when you do something positive, you're going to reward yourself. And when you do something negative, maybe you're going to do something negative. And there's a lot of ways of tracking productivity and tracking positive reinforcement and or positive ways of managing your time, of managing your habits. And one app that half of my running group actually uses is this app called Habitica aka habit rpg and this is a really cool fun useful app especially if you're a fan of dungeons and dragons or other rpgs I am. you are Ooh, mm-hmm. then you gotta love it because habit is like an awesome and free habit slash productivity building app that pretty much treats your real life as a game you know it kind of gamifies your entire life into this rpg there's like in-game rewards there's a punishment to motivate you and you build a character and earn gold when you complete tasks as, as well as unlock new content as the game progresses And then there's also this team dynamic where you can play with friends or in common interest groups and hold each other accountable for tasks and issue each other challenges. Is it ever like weirdly too personal to like share these tasks with people? It's like go and get an STD check or something. Whoa, like, yeah. That, hey, <laughs> I get a thousand not, points and a thousand gold. Everyone pretty, give me a high five. That's pretty intense. But no, uh, you, no, should, it, you should go get it. It's usually, it's, it's usually a more low-key task than that. An old psychology teacher back in high school once told me this trick that he had for getting homework done and assignments and things. He's like, if you if you get home and you like need to pee, don't actually let yourself get up and go to the toilet until you finish this task that you've got to do, whether it's finishing your homework for the day or something. His idea was that you have this pressure to finish and not waste time and mess around. And then you also feel relief when you do eventually finish that. I don't know how healthy that is for yeah. your actual bladder um, and reproductive organs. but I mean, I do that all the time when I go to the movies. I'm like, I'm not going to pee until the movie is over. And then when the <laughs> movie is over, it's going to feel so good. <laughs> Or if it turns out the movie is really terrible, you could just stand up and just kind of like peel yeah. over the theater and you know, think, express yeah. your displeasure. <laughs> Sounds about right. There's this other thing that I discovered a little while back called structured procrastination. And I'm someone who loves to procrastinate a lot. So I was like, well, if I can actually use procrastination in a helpful way, I'm so good at procrastination, maybe it will, uh, will come in as handy. So there's this guy called John Perry, who's a scientist, and he won what's called the Ig Nobel Prize. If you've ever heard of that, it's almost a parody version of the Nobel Prize where they are actual real scientific discoveries and achievements, but they're ones that are meant to make you laugh and then make you think. So he wrote this firstly an article and then later a book called The Art of Procrastination. And this is a little quote from it. So he says, structured procrastination requires a certain amount of self-deception since one is in effect constantly perpetrating a pyramid scheme on yourself. One needs to be able to recognize and commit oneself to tasks with inflated importance and unreal deadlines while making oneself 
feel that they are important and urgent. This clears the way to accomplish several apparently less urgent, but actually achievable tasks. So essentially what he's saying there is that if you can make yourself think that there's something more important that you have to do that you would be happy to procrastinate from and then put the tasks that you actually kind of really do need to do a little bit below that, you're going to be more willing to do those tasks while you're procrastinating from the biggest, most important thing. And I found that a lot in my life, say with my reading list of scripts for work and friends and stuff. I might be putting off reading a particular script, but then another one comes along that's suddenly more pressing. I'm like, oh, actually, I, I really want to go read that script right now. I didn't get a chance to read it or whatever is the most pressing. I sometimes feel the least motivated to do, usually because it requires the most work. But the couple of scripts that are off to the side that like my friends just gave me or whatever, I will happily go read them because to me, it feels like I'm not doing real work, even though it technically says. Right. There's also this thing about where you just give yourself five minutes for a task you don't want to do. And then usually, even if you gave yourself only five minutes, by the time those five minutes are up, you'll want to continue it. Mm -hmm. So you can be like, okay, I'm just going to clean my room for like 10 minutes. And then you clean for 10 minutes, but then you're already 10 minutes in. Yeah, you're making so progress. Good. You're feeling good about it. You're like, oh, yeah, this wasn't as hard as I thought. Exactly. It's going to trick yourself into doing it. Exactly. I mean, it's the sunk cost fallacy uh, mm -hmm. issue of like, you've already sunk in 15 minutes of your time doing this task. Might as well finish it. And then there's also this aspect of negative reinforcement where I'm not really a fan of South Warren, but there's, <laughs> there's this thing called the uh, Pavlock where it's physically... <laughs> sounds like a Marvel superhero. <laughs> I am really, Pavlock. Sounds like a Russian Marvel superhero. Yeah. Uh, but it's actually this... Uh, a zapper that you wear around your wrist that uh, zaps you as in electricity zaps you mm -hmm. um, every time you don't you do something or you do something bad and I actually saw it at Shark Tank and I definitely did not invest in that in that idea <laughs> and, and then on the flip side on the running side there's also a sadistic running app that <laughs> kind of deletes your running as you go or rather if you stop that sounds like um, just like a nightmare like a literal nightmare that a writer would mm -hmm. have is that they're writing away and they finally have the brilliant screenplay on the page and then the app starts deleting it all and, the, and then the exhale and then as the exhale the script deletes itself that's, that's actually what could happen in this app it's called yeah, the you most could willingly do this to yourself everyone please <laughs> please it's called the most dangerous writing app and pretty much if you stop writing even for a second the edges of the screen become kind of like tinged with red and then the longer you go without typing the redder the edges become until everything is erased forever mm. after five seconds of inactivity so you could be spending you know 10 hours writing your screenplay or whatever it is and then taking a break for one second and then boom everything is gone wow it sounds riveting all right so we've looked at tools and tricks to help you overcome internal barriers but now let's look at some external elements that can help you push you to that next level so the one big concept that we've been talking about throughout this podcast is this idea of accountability. And that can come in multiple forms. The big one is the running group. If you have a running group, it gives you a structure and other people you need to be accountable to, much like you will be on a running staff or in a professional setting. It isn't just about wasting your time anymore. It's also about wasting other people's time if you're not pulling through with your weight. It could be a running group or it can actually be like Nick, a running partner or another person with whom you're riding. I think the biggest measure of accountability that is in a lot of people's heads is the concept of deadlines. And I'm not talking about the entertainment magazine deadline. More than anything, I think deadlines are what gets most people to finish their work. Whether these are like external deadlines that you really have no influence in, whether you're like <clears throat> completing an assignment for work or for a school, or whether they're self-imposed deadlines, it really, once you get to this point, the thing needs to be done. One of the biggest things that, for me, studying screenwriting in a formal setting did was impose these deadlines. We would actually meet each week with a mentor who was like a working writer in the industry and then show them our progress on our scripts. And we would discuss it. We would set goals for the following week. 
and we had writing assignments every semester that were due on certain dates, and if you didn't hand them in, then you failed. We also formed our own little writing groups where we would set dates for people to bring their work in on each week ahead of time to encourage them to actually kind of get it done rather than just whoever felt like bringing something in. And I think that one of the things that motivates people the most about deadlines is this element of consequence or punishment if you don't meet the deadline. I've found that if I can not do something and get away with it, I will keep doing that no matter how much I know that I shouldn't. A common example might be like being late to things, as Alex is well aware when I show up to these podcasts. Unless there's a severe consequence, like you're going to lose your job if you show up late to work every day, or if you show up late to a date, you're going to lose your girlfriend or something. You can just kind of keep going on being late. And sometimes it might actually be a good experience for you to experience that negative consequence for your actions, as bad as that may feel to you in the short term, so that you learn that you can't keep getting away with it in the long term. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely this fear of the Sword of Damocles falling on you. One of my favorite shows is Nathan For You. And Nathan For You is this amazing unscripted half-hour comedy on Comedy Central. And there was this motivational program that he created in one episode where he would actually threaten the participants with actual shame in the form of humiliating photos mailed to someone they knew if they fail to meet their weight loss goals. Oh, wow. Um, and so in the setup is basically would ask the participants for what is the scenario that maximizes the humiliation? And let's take a photo of that. Uh, so <laughs> one, one example was a dad whose fear was his kids finding out that he cheated on his wife. And so he took a photo, a fake photo of like him cheating on someone. And that was the leverage. Of all people in that group, most of them succeeded in their weight loss goal, except for one person. So that person had to present to her Jewish attorney at her law firm, a photo of herself sticking her tongue out, pretending a banana was her penis, and then holding up a sign that said, I hate Jews. Oh and that was God. the most the most cringiest moment of the entire series. Uh, and that's, yeah. that's saying something. That entire series um, is just nonstop cringe. But um, it's so good. It's so funny. In the best possible uh, way. In the best possible way. Maybe take some compromising photos of yourself oh and God. mail it to your friends if you don't finish your script on time. It, I don't know. Ma- mail it to ask at pamertine.co. <laughs> <laughs> We will hold you accountable. We will publish we will. it. Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, we're a podcast, so maybe we just have to describe <laughs> the photo in vivid detail for everyone, but uh, we'll we'll make you get that script done. So in regards to deadlines, you'll notice that most writing competitions obviously have to set a deadline by which you enter your script so that it can be considered. But you'll find that they have these kind of like soft deadlines. There'll be an early deadline. There'll be a regular deadline. There'll be a late deadline. Sometimes there'll be like a very late deadline and they will go up in cost. And so in kind of a slightly nefarious way, these competitions are almost taking advantage of writers' tendency to procrastinate because by making it multiple deadlines, it's then like a soft deadline that you can allow yourself to miss and then justify to yourself that you still have until the late deadline. But each time it's going to cost you a little bit more money. So they're profiting off of your your likelihood to procrastinate. You might even rush to get it in on an early deadline and save money and then decide that you want to put a revised draft in later and then you have to pay the entire fee all over again. And then the longer they leave the submission period, the more likely this is to happen. So in terms of their own accountability, they might justify it as an, oh no, we have to pay our readers more to do a shorter turnaround if it's a late deadline. But realistically, I think it's more of a slightly nefarious way to take mm-hmm. advantage of people's ability to procrastinate. So don't let them win. Get things done on time. Yeah, I pay Nick $10 every time I don't post the podcast on time. 
So these have been more like external factors mm. to help you overcome procrastination and so on. But there's a few internal elements that we can look into as well. First thing is remember why you want to write and what you're trying to accomplish with that script. You're not just trying, hopefully, to be a feature writer who dreams of retiring after selling one big screenplay, which actually doesn't even happen. You're trying to get on a writing staff, get a weekly paycheck, and get on a schedule. And that means pumping them scripts like uh, Arnie pumps iron, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> if anyone's seen the document, pumping iron it's fascinating it's quite lovely it's not really a matter of finally finishing one script and then your career is going to take off or something like that particularly if you're just finishing the first draft of it at that you're going to have to find the time and the discipline to do many many rewrites of that script and of every other script you're going to have to put it down and start it all over again every couple of months for the rest of your life if you want to work as a writer so that's why it's important to form a habit and not just pop some Ritalin and pull an all-nighter to get your script <laughs> done on a deadline it's not sustainable that's what I do every week come on come on <laughs> Especially when you're first starting out, it's important to remember that every script is a ticket to the lottery. You know, every year you have the opportunity to write a new great spec and submit it to the fellowships. You can also write an infinite amount of pilots that showcase your range or hone down on your sensibilities or who you are as a writer. Every new script you can submit to fellowships contests, representation, staffing, showrunners, whoever. All these scripts are a new opportunity for you to get recognized. Think of all the professional writers who have been working for many, many years even. They have established careers and they wrote what we now know to be brilliant shows like Mad Men, Breaking Bad, Stranger Things recently, even J.K. Rowling with Harry Potter. And they got rejected over and over and over, even once they were successful. So you just have to keep going and be persistent and get better. Yeah, the only competition is yourself. There was a quote from an industry guy on Twitter recently. I was like, look at your work as its own competition. Look at your work as the only thing that can get you in or keep you out, because it is. His name is Jeff Latulip. I think he runs a movie critic podcast type thing as well. So I thought that was a really great piece of advice. It's not about someone else's script being better than yours. It's about your script being the best it can be personally. And that's the only thing that's going to ever matter. For sure. We're a lovely way to end this podcast. And now let's look at some takeaways. Number one, you cannot wait for the muse to strike. Writing is an action. You should be actively doing it as in writing, not just thinking about doing it, especially in television. Number two, procrastination is just a part of life and particularly writing. So accept that and then learn to manage it and use it to your advantage. And finally, be accountable to other people and to yourself. Remember why you want to write. So what are some resources that we can give our listeners this week, Alex? Well, I've got a couple this week. Number one, as I mentioned previously, I use the Pomodoro technique. And instead of using a traditional kitchen timer or even a digital one, I like to have a physical kind of visual representation of the time that I have left. And there's this physical timer called the Time Timer. They have an app, but what I'm talking about is the actual physical timer that they sell. And it displays at a glance how long you have left through kind of like a red wheel that progressively disappears. And I think you've seen it because we've been occasionally using it for the podcast. Yeah, it's uh, it's really handy, actually. I like it. I have to get one myself. One little resource that I often use when I'm writing, particularly if I'm trying to get rid of distractions and things, is to kind of like listen to some like soft music, usually without lyrics or even like white noise and that kind of thing. So I recommend a website called rainy mood we'll put the link in the show notes and it's essentially the sound of soft rain and wind and stuff outside which can be very relaxing for some people and it's also just that white noise that will stop you from glancing around the room and seeing what's going on and then i often like to play some kind of soft music behind that i recommend classical guitar piano jazz sometimes even like some minimalist like drum and bass or electro stuff it's just like very soft no words because that will kind of get you distracted again i think you play guitar to yourself and then record it and then put that as background music right? that's what uh, <laughs> yeah what i mean that is the 
that is me playing the paper team intro on the musical transitions so i guess i actually just play our own podcast as i write just because that's we're so full of ourselves so. oh that's so good uh, and speaking <laughs> of uh the last resource i'll uh, recommend this week is this book called war of art by stephen pressfield i said war of art not the art of war that's a different book but the war of art is a really amazing book that voiced in an interesting way this whole like waiting around process before writing i think it's one of the most inspirational but also pragmatic book about the running mindset and overcoming it we've got a quote from a friend yeah. of ours about this book actually I think, as well. yeah if you look at the back of the war of art there's a little blurb and i quote as i closed the war of art i felt a surge of positive calm i now know i can win this war and if i can so can you from the Ford by Robin McKee, screenwriting <laughs> guru. Uh, As we know, he's an old friend of the show. We like to diss him at every possible occasion. No, so. we, we love you, Robin McKee, please. Um. Take that recommendation to heart. So let's move on before his lawyers come. Thanks everyone for listening to us and taking the time as always. We would love any reviews and ratings, particularly reviews. We like to hear your pretty words. So you can leave those at paperteam.co slash iTunes. That's .co, not .com. As always, you can find us online. I'm at TV Calling. And I'm at underscore NJ Watson. And if you have any feedback, thoughts, opinions, or, f- or compromising, compromising photos, photos of, yourself. <laughs> of yourself, you can email us at ask at paperteam.co. What are we talking about next week? Well, next week we're going to be talking talking about Australian TV with a good friend of yours, Nick. Yeah, a fellow called Chris Corbett, uh, who has been a writer in Australia for 15, 20 years on on all sorts of uh, drama shows, procedurals. Um, He was actually a listener of this podcast, and he reached out and contacted me and said that uh, he liked it, and uh, he just happened to be passing through LA. And so I had lunch with him, and we decided to bring him in and chat all about the Australian industry. So I'm really looking forward to that. And we'll see you next week.